we're in week three of this series, Entrusted, uh, which is a theology series. And I, guys, I'm excited. <laughs> because today, we have arrived at the doctrine of doctrines. The truth of all truths. The doctrine of God. And as we ponder um, this colossal subject, we are treading upon holy ground. Like I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that your eternity hangs in the balance by how you answer the questions posed in Proverbs 30 verse 4. Whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is His name? And what is the name of His Son? How you answer those questions will determine where you spend eternity. Like I promise you, your life will rise or fall on your knowledge of God. Like in his classic book on this subject right here, The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer, he writes, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let that just sink in for a moment. I read that when I was about 19 years old. And I've memorized it. It has stuck with me all of these years. What comes into your mind when you think about God? Not your job, not your marriage, not your family, not your background, not your education. But what comes into your minds when you think about God is the most important, the most significant thing about you as a person. The mightiest thought the mind can entertain is the thought of God. The weightiest word in any language is its word for God. That our idea of God correspond as nearly as possible to the true being of God is of immense importance to us. Like this should be your lifelong quest. Like your lifelong quest should be that the my view of God, my concept of God, line up with reality. And that I'm on this journey. I'm living this adventure. I start here, but I want to end there with a greater knowledge of that once again lines up with the true being of God. Like why should we obsess over this? Because the essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of Him. Are you guilty of that? I'm guilty of that. We're all guilty of that. The essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of Him. And I say this right now with complete confidence. It is always safe to assume that your view of God is too small. It is always, always, always safe to assume that your view of God is 
too small because God is always greater than you think. Always more grand. Always more glorious than you think. No matter how spiritually mature you are or how many shreds you've completed through the Bible. I mean, those who are shredding right now, especially those who are shredding for the third or fourth or fifth or sixth time, they would say amen to this because they know every time they open Genesis 1 and they finish with Revelation 22, their mind is blown by the greatness of God. Things they never thought and things they had never seen, they see afresh. There's always more to learn about the one true and living God. Always more to be astonished by. Every one of us is a theologian. We all have words about God. Every one of us is a theologian. And you should want to be a good one. Because our knowledge of God determines our response to God. How you view God will determine how you respond to God. A better understanding of God will equal a better response to God. Like this, a better understanding of God will lead to a deeper love for God and for others. A better understanding of God will lead to a deeper love for God. Remember, we're pursuing not just orthodoxy, but passionate orthodoxy like theology is literally the study of God and your love for God is limited by your knowledge of him you can only love him as far as you know him as Jen Wilkin has written the heart cannot love what the mind does not know and I believe that the more you know about God the more beautiful he becomes to you and the more likely the more likely you are as as a result to say with king david one thing i ask from the lord and this is all i seek from him that i may dwell in the house of the lord all the days of my life to gaze upon god's beauty Guys, the more you read the Bible and the more you know God, the more you have the thought, if I can just, if I could just be near Him, I don't, I don't mind if there's a, a couple billion people in front of me. The thought that I can be in the presence of God, that's enough. Guys, do you want to love God more deeply? Then you need to see Him more clearly. A better understanding of God will lead to a deeper love and it will lead to a deeper worship of God. The more you know God, the greater your ability to worship Him and the greater your desire to worship Him. You'll begin to come to church worshiping instead of simply coming to church to worship. Like as you grow in your knowledge of God, as your understanding of Him deepens, you know what else will deepen? You'll develop a deeper vocabulary of praise. You'll develop a unique posture of worship. 
Like you will. Like, I, guys, I've had this happen so many times where I've been in the Word or I've seen God work and words fail me and I get so frustrated. Like I wished I had a deeper vocabulary so I could tell God how glorious He is and how grateful I am that He saved me. That He knows me. That He chose me. Like, Do you want to worship God more completely? Then you need to see Him more clearly. Next, a better understanding of God will lead to greater obedience to God. You can only obey God as far as you know Him and His will. As you get to know Him better, as you know His ways more accurately, you're able to follow Him more fully. We're told in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord, that sense of reverence and ranking yourself under Him, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Do you want to live a wise life? Look at God. Fear God. Do you want to obey God more fully? Then you have to see Him, church, more clearly. And finally, a better understanding of God will lead to greater confidence in God. The more you know God, you see this. Like all of us see this one. The more you know God, the more you trust Him. And so we all know people, saints who really walk with God, who God has carried them through deep trials and heartache, and yet they have a, a song on their lips and a longing to talk about the greatness of God. We admire those people. We don't want to be those people. We don't want to have to go through the trials that got them there. But if you want to grow in your confidence of God, you need to see Him more clearly. And you see Him in the valley. If your God is small, then your fears will be colossal. But if your God is big, and I'm not talking about upsizing God, I'm talking about right-sizing God. You can upsize God for the rest of eternity and you won't touch the fringe of His garment. If your God is big, then your fears will shrink. When you fear God, there is nothing else you need to fear because all the things that you are afraid of are terrified of Him. Understand, you cannot, if you have a God that cannot command you, cannot rule you, then He cannot comfort you. So do you want to grow in your confidence in God? If you do, here is the solution. Tozer writes, the heaviest obligation lying upon the church today is to purify and elevate her concept of God until it is once more worthy of Him. And I hope, I hope that's what happens this morning for you. 
that God will use this message, the Scripture that is read to purify and elevate your concept of God. That is my prayer. And that's a tall order. But my prayer is that as God's children hear truths about their Father in heaven, that the Spirit will so ignite our hearts to the point that they will want to burst into praise and thanksgiving that we get to know God. That should astound you. Like you should be astounded by the thought that you, of all people, of all ages, get to know God, that you're invited in. So in the hope that God will use His Word to ignite our hearts, listen to this. Romans 11, verse 33. The Apostle Paul writes, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Like I read that knowing where it comes in the book of Romans and Paul's heart is full to the point of bursting. And so after laying out 11 chapters of theology, he bursts into praise. And guys, all of us should acknowledge that these words here were written by someone who knew God significantly better than any of us do. Right? Like Paul understood God more deeply than anyone here. And yet, Paul says that God has depths that He cannot fathom. Paul says that God's ways are both unsearchable and inscrutable. So even if you wrote half of the New Testament, you are always correct in assuming that your view of God is too small because Scripture teaches that God is incomprehensible. That's a lesson we should teach to our children. God is beyond and above Like He's in a category all to His own. God is incomprehensible. Like there is a depth in God that is beyond your ability to grasp. You just lack the capacity. I lack the capacity. There is more to God than we will ever, ever be able to comprehend. Now we can understand truths about God. 
But we can never understand God exhaustively. Like we've been entrusted with truth. We've been entrusted with the truth that God is inexhaustible, indescribable, but that God is incomprehensible. We read in Psalm 145 these words that David declares, Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure His greatness. That's not hyperbole. No one can measure the greatness of God. In Psalm 147 we read, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. And then we read in Isaiah 55, the words of God Himself, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is saying, God's word, there's a category problem here. Like, I'm not like you. Your greatest error is thinking that I am. Like, we're in whole different categories. You are the created and I am the creator. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. And yet, even though God is inscrutable, we can grow in our understanding. We can deepen in our understanding. But, understanding that we are limited and God is not. Like all of God's attributes, all of God's perfections, all those little books we read that talk about like a character quality of God or something that like we admire His holiness or His grace or His mercy or His omniscience or whatever. Like all of God's attributes and perfections are without limit. Like each of the attributes, each of the perfections of God are maxed out. And as a result, guys, for all eternity, this is what we'll be doing. We will be marveling at new discoveries about the person of God. Like we will be gazing upon the beauty of holiness. We will be taking in layers upon layers of knowledge about the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For all eternity, our mouths will be agape and we will be amazed. Yet, we will never know everything there is to know about even one of God's attributes. We, after eternity, will not know everything there is to know about one of God's perfection. There will always be more to celebrate. Always be more to take in. God is infinite and we are finite. But we can know Him. How is it possible for us to know God? Because God... Took the first step. God has made Himself known. Through creation, 
through His Word and through His Son who is the very image of the invisible God. Like in your Bible, God Himself defines God. He tells you everything this side of heaven. He wants you to know about His character, His nature. So unless you think yourself equal with God, you should not attempt to be His editor. You see, every true thing you know about God is because He has entrusted it to you. He has revealed it to you. Therefore, guys, a study of theology should not make us arrogant buttheads. Right? Like a study of biblical theology should lead us to greater humility because all of the sound doctrine we believe is simply the result of divine revelation. God showed it to us. We didn't figure it out. His ways are beyond finding out. I mean, the fact that we can even begin to trace the outline of a true understanding of the person of God is based solely on His grace in revealing and the Spirit's work in renewing our minds. And so the fact that God is incomprehensible is our starting point. As limited people, we are invited to ponder our limitless God. As finite human beings, we get to gaze into the infinite. And knowing these limitations, we embrace the tension of theological mystery. Like J.I. Packer writes, that in theology, mystery is a reality which we acknowledge as actual without knowing how it is possible, in which we therefore describe as incomprehensible. There are things about God and about His ways that we try and try to put together, but it is beyond us. Like a mystery in theology simply highlights God's greatness and my limitations. Because some truths are just simply, guys, beyond our intellectual abilities. There are things about God like His sovereignty, His providence, His work of election and salvation presented to us as mysteries to be adored. Not problems to be solved. For example, I believe in the Trinity. I do not understand the Trinity. But I adore it. I adore our God who is one and three. Now some might respond, how can you believe what you cannot understand. To which as someone has responded, a God small enough to be understood is not big enough to be worshipped. It's always safe to assume 
that your view of God is too small. For example, in the State of Theology survey that was done nationally about a year and a half ago, when it came to statements related to the doctrine of God, 92% of evangelicals agreed that there is one true God eternally existing in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's not bad. 92%. You know? Now, 89% agreed that God is perfect and cannot make a mistake. So, 11% of those in evangelical churches think that God is not perfect and can make mistakes. And then finally, 58% of the evangelicals surveyed thought that God learns and adapts to different circumstances. Like the majority surveyed, 58%, the issue that they tripped over was can God change? And can God change? Or aren't there times in the Bible, right? When God changes His mind, like like He was going to judge Nineveh. And, and then He showed mercy to them instead. Like, 30 days, Nineveh will be no more. And 30 days later, God showered them with mercy. Well, understand this, guys. When Scripture presents those conundrums, understand that God, in His unchanging character, God will always bless righteousness. He will always bless humility and repentance. And He will always punish sin. He will punish rebellion and indifference and pride. So when you see in Scripture the idea that God has in some way relented or changed His mind, understand this, God didn't change. They changed. And then in a sense, saw the other side or the other response from God. Instead of experiencing His judgment because of their repentance, they get His mercy. Well, how about when God regretted right that He had made Saul king? You see it right there. God's bummed out. That he made, why, why did I do that? That was boneheaded. Let's start over with David. Well, guys, understand this. Scripture presents God to us in language that we can understand. Language that we can grasp. What theologians call anthropomorphic language. Like for example, God is spirit, which means he is without body, and yet we are told that he holds our hand, that he inclines his ear to us, and that he covers us with his wings. Because these are all figures of speech talking about the greatness and care of God. In the same way, God's regret in making Saul king is a way to show that God was grieved. God was grieved by Saul's pride and rebellion. And He must now show, He must now respond with judgment. Now God wasn't reacting in some sense that He was caught off guard. God is always, always angry at sin. And He always blesses righteousness. And so in 1 Samuel 15.29, the prophet Samuel says to King Saul, right as he is being rejected, 
He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind. For he is not a human being that he should change his mind. Scripture teaches that God is immutable. Like He is always the same in His nature, in His character, in His will, in His promises. He never changes. And in fact, God cannot change. All God's attributes, all His perfections are included in this immutability. Like there can be no increase or decrease in the attributes of God. God can never be more or less holy. More or less sovereign. More or less loving. God says of Himself to the nation of Israel, I the Lord do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. I made a promise to the nation of Israel And though you are unworthy, I do not change and I will keep my promise. And since God doesn't change, we read in the New Testament the very same thing. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. There is no increase. There is no decrease to any of the attributes of God. There is no increase or decrease in God's perfect knowledge. Like Paul Tripp unpacks this so well when he writes, God is not like us. He has no past, present, or future. He exists in an an internal now. He is always what He is. He is what He has always been and will be what He forever has been. So God never becomes something. Never needs anything. And never learns anything. God has no hopes and dreams. Disappointments or regrets. He has no what-ifs or if-onlys. His character and purposes are without change, God will only ever be what He eternally is. And so when He meets Moses on a mountainside and Moses says, the people are going to ask, who has sent me? And what will I say your name is? And God says, I am. Like I am the eternal now. I am self-existent. And so why is it important that God for us, like why is it important that God does not change? Guys, just in closing, you got to get this one. Because the reliability of every promise in the Bible rests on the fact that God does not change. I mean, that's why we sing. That's why for me, I can't wait for this sermon to be over so I can lift my voice to this God who is so worthy. Why is it important that God does not change? Because this is the rock upon which all of our confidence rests. It's what gives us the courage to stand for Christ in 2024. 
The immutability of God is great comfort to those who are in Christ and it is a terror to the wicked. Because God keeps every promise, even the ones we wish He wouldn't. His immutability means that He is never surprised. God does not learn or need to adapt because there is nothing at all that He does not already know. Like His knowledge, His omniscience is complete. It includes not only, hear this, every single decision you have ever made. God already knew. In fact, the omniscience of God includes every one of the decisions that you could have made. Like in a lot of the movies now, and a lot of the shows, there's this idea of a multiverse where every decision a person makes sends them down a different trail and there's a different reality for that. I mean, it's cool. It's great science fiction. But the multiverse doesn't exist except within the mind of God. Because God's omniscience means He knows not just our universe, but every possible universe He could have chosen to create. Guys, God's immutability means that God will never stop loving you. Because He never started. His love for you is eternal. It had no beginning and it has no end. It means that we can count. God's immutability means that we can count on everything Jesus said because Jesus as God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And finally, this is important for us because I don't know about you, I read the Bible and it's old. Like these people are in a different era, a different world. Like this is the Bronze Age I'm reading about. And it's commanding my life now. But this doctrine about the unchangeableness of God bridges the gap between the world of the Bible and our world today. Hear this. God wrote the Bible with today in clear focus. There are no surprises. Like as I finished my shred on Monday and started afresh on Tuesday, In Genesis chapter 1, I had this thought. God not only breathed out the text that I was reading, but even as Moses was being carried along by the Holy Spirit and penning these words, God also knew perfectly everyone who would ever read these words and every time we would ever read them and what he would choose to show us every single one of those times and how would we we would respond every single time and all of that was in the mind of Yahweh as Moses wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in the beginning, God. Let's pray.
Who is like You, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like You, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, working wonders? And now with every head bowed and every eye closed as You prepare Your heart for communion, listen to these words. Here is your God. Behold, the Sovereign Lord comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense accompanies Him. He tends His flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in His arms and carries them close to His heart. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand? Who with a span of His hand has marked out the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understand since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And His people are like grasshoppers to Him. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. To whom will you compare Me? Or who is My equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of His great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and His understanding no one can fathom. God bless my brothers and sisters in this room as they come to this table. May they come in awe that the God I just read about put on flesh and had that flesh nailed to the cross for them. Bless these elements we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.